trusting you, Father, for everything, um, not just one aspect, Father, but we trust you for everything. Father, we recognize there is nothing that we can do and nothing exists outside of you. And we come, Father, this morning in reverence of that perspective, Lord, that you are outside of our control. Father, it is difficult for us to even fathom all of your ways. But Lord, we trust in you and we cling to your promises. We love you. We pray now, Father, that your spirit would stir in our hearts through the word. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you all here this morning and to bring the word in the house of the Lord. Uh, if you have been following along with us uh, in our Bible reading plan this year, we are reading one chapter a week for five days of that week and then journaling on several different ideas each day. If you are not a partner here or have no idea what it is I'm speaking of, I encourage you to visit the welcome table, I think is what we call it, out front, or connect table. Or you can always visit our website at mercyhillfamily.com to find out what our reading plans are um, and how to get involved with that. This week, our readings concluded our time in Genesis, uh, with Genesis 12. And so, uh, as any good sermon should, let's begin uh, with reading the Scripture. So if you turn with me to Genesis 12... Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make, uh, make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. 
And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land, the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moor. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the, right, on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negeb. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. Uh, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, uh, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful, and when the prince the princes of Pharaoh saw her. They praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that they had. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that um, your word is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I just pray, Lord, that as we begin to look at this passage that you would speak to our hearts um, of what you would have us know. Amen. So, um, in 2020, um, I was given the opportunity to bring the word uh, here at Mercy Hill on three separate occasions, uh, two of which were from uh, Paul's epistles and one from the Gospel of John. And I tell you that to tell you this. So if we were to break up the Bible into two main categories, you would have uh, what we would describe as the narrative, which is all of the Old Testament and the Gospels, uh, which tell the story of the Bible. And then you would have the didactic, which is the rest, um, the interpretations essentially of the narrative. So you have Paul's epistles, you also have the apostles and their epistles and their letters at the end of the New Testament. And I tell you that because I'm telling you this. There's never been a time where I have spoken straight from the narrative. Now I realize I spoke from John 1 a year ago, but I skipped over the narrative before we got to the narrative, only did the epilogue, and so it was not part of the narrative. And so I say this because I'm asking for grace as my attempt today is to bring to you the word from the narrative. And so, in any case, I do understand, though, that it is kind of cool, maybe, or uh, trendy for many preachers today when preaching the narrative to make you the main character 
of the story. And unfortunately, um, that is just quite inaccurate. Um, you are not in the story. Uh, the story of the Bible is about how God has redeemed a fallen and broken world. In every story, God is the main character. God is the Savior, and God is the hero. And so I give you this piece of information that you are not at any point Abraham in this story. You are not Moses in any other story of the Old Testament. Um, you are definitely not ever David. And for someone to tell you that you are um, these characters is only attempting to make you feel good and manipulate you uh, and play on your emotions. Not that we don't connect with these characters um, and learn from them, but you are definitely not any of them. I wanted to get that out just to set where we're going. So, Okay, so back to Genesis 12. So one of the things that I love about this story in Genesis 12 um, is the example and the it is a great example uh, of the marriage between faith and obedience. Um, well, Abraham, Abram will later become Abraham, but Abram in the story um, was both faithful to God um, and his faithfulness to God is what allowed him uh, to be obedient. Um, it was a sign of obedience. And I think that we oftentimes will get lost on that. Um, when we lose our faith, we're actually being disobedient. Um, there's a, there, the marriage, I guess, between our faith and obedience is, is such a, a strong one that you cannot have one without the other, and you cannot have the other without the one. And so this brings me to my first point, and I'll be quite honest with you. Um, the wording on this point of this part of the sermon has truly, truly been something to wrestle with. And so I went with the simplest form of anything that I could think of, and so hopefully it makes sense. But uh, the first point that I want to make today to you is that faith um, is often the catalyst, or faith is the catalyst for our obedience. Or true faithful, you could say it, true faithfulness produces obedience. In Genesis 12, 1 through 5, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so, to step away just for a quick second. Um, when I was younger, some of you may know, and some of you may not, but I spent a good portion of my life uh, growing up in a hospital. Um, accidents. Nothing too major, but accidents. Now, um, I don't want to tell you all of them. I do want to use this one, though I think is a good example. Um, an illustration of disobedience um, to one's parents. And so my parents should have known 
that after I broke my right leg to probably never leave me alone with a four-wheeler. Um, there was probably some bad omen there, but they set up guidelines and told me how to do things, and the, I was obedient to them, right? So if they tell me what to do, and I remain obedient to them, they will have faith in me to continue to let me drive four-wheelers. However, um, I was not obedient uh, very long, and shortly thereafter, I broke my right femur. I was disobedient to the rules of my father and broke my left femur, um, probably two years or three years after. And so my parents um, should have known probably to never trust me around four-wheelers or horses or in attics or chasing cats up wood piles. <laughs> that being said, when I was, and I'm not, I'm not trying to draw the parallel, all right, there's, yes. So my parents had faith and I was obedient to them. When I was disobedient to them, all of those things were taken away to, from me because they no longer had faith in me, right? And in the same sort of sense, what we want to talk about here is this morning this marriage between faith and obedience. Our faithfulness always must lead to, will always lead to our obedience. And so what we want to do is define faith here. Um, in Hebrews 11, and so usually if we want to define Bible, things from the Bible, the best place to define those is in the Bible. And so in Hebrews 11, uh, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped, hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their uh, commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that it is seen, was not made out of things that are visible. So go from your country, leave your father's house to the land that I will show you. You see, before God ever made any promises to Abraham, he explained what it would take, and that was faith. It's not, it was never go to this land, and this will happen for you. Rather, in order for us to truly obey God in the fulfilling of our lives and what he has commanded us to do, our catalyst, or the catalyst for our obedience, is always our faith. This covenant, that, and yeah, so this covenant um, that God made with Abram, that I will make you a great nation, and I will make your name great, that was after he told him what to do. Leave your family, leave your land, and in return, I will bless you. See, in order for Abram to enter into his covenant, obedience was required. Now, obedience does not happen without the faith. Now, I've realized that there are times um, in listening to preachers that exist, sometimes 
Preachers can be vague, and so I want to be as clear and concise as I possibly can. Obedience does not mean that it is a works-based salvation or that obedience is my salvation. It is quite the opposite. We don't obey because it makes us righteous. We obey because we have faith in God and the covenant that he has engaged in us or with us, in with us. Sorry. See, Jesus never asked people to follow him. He told them what it required, and that always required faith. In Mark 10, it says, He was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, and do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Why would this man not sell his possessions and give it all away in order to follow Jesus? Obedience is required because there is a lack of faith that Jesus will be able to provide. Romans 1 it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called belong to Jesus Christ. The obedience of faith. Where you have obedience to the Lord, you will certainly have faith driving that obedience. True obedience cannot happen without faith. True obedience only happens when we are faithful to the Lord. If you continue the story uh, in Genesis 12, um, Abraham, Abram, uh, loses faith that he will be protected. And that loss of faith led to disobedience. Right? You cannot separate faith from obedience. Romans 16 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept, um, kept secret for long ages, but, now, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writing has been made to all nations according to the command of, eternal, of the eternal God, to bring out the obedience of faith to the only wise God, to the be... Uh, wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, there it is, right? Obedience of faith. 
When we are faithful to God and do what God has commanded us to do, we are being obedient. Again, it cannot be stressed enough that obedience doesn't happen without our faith. And our faith must come when we trust in the almighty, sovereign, benevolent, and merciful God. And so, to bring this point to an end, I want to leave you with a quote. Uh, John MacArthur said, if I, were to simp- if I could simplify the Christian life into one thing, it would be obedience. So, the second point that I would like to make today is that we are mere travelers in this world. Our perspective is our greatest downfall. But it can also be a great helper. Paul Washer once said that there is no such thing as a great man of God, only a weak, pitiful, faithless man of a great and merciful God. Our perspective matters. We exist because God allows it. This is the perspective that I mean. This world is not ours to have, nor is it ours to settle in. You see, as God promised Abram a great nation and a great land, he has also made that exact same promise to us. He has promised us to be a great nation. And he has promised us a great land far, far from here. So, my wife and I uh, recently moved. And if any of you are planning on moving in the near future, I strongly, strongly, I cannot reiterate this enough, recommend you reconsider. (laughs) Unpacking literally never stops. Now, I do love my wife, and to be honest, I really don't care the sort of style that our house is. Um, I don't care about really the colors of the house or the carpets. Um, When we went to paint the rooms in our house, my suggestion was just to paint all the rooms black. That seems fine to me. Um, However, my wife didn't obviously agree with that. Um, In my wife's attempt to turn our house into our home, she has had great ideas, um, things that need to be new, that we need to add, things that we need to fix, things that were like the other person's style that are obviously not my wife's. We have to change those for sure. And this is great. Um, And I want her to make this house into a home Because for sure, after this moving experience, I'm probably never looking to move again. (laughs) I'm kind of a hunker-down type of person. And I tell you that to tell you this. As much as my wife wants to turn our house into a home, we often find ourselves wanting to turn this earth, this world, into our home. But like Abram in his travels... We are mere foreigners in this land. 
The world has nothing to offer us. The world tries to offer us things. Wisdom, right? That's one of the things the world loves to offer us. First Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 says this, Where is the one who is wise, and where is the scribe, and where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe him. Think about this for one second. God was literally on, the world, on this earth in the form of Jesus. And the wisest of people missed it. That's the wisdom that the world can offer you. In 1 Corinthians 2 it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in the words, not taught by human wisdom, but, by, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths through those who are spiritual. This world is not our own. The things of it do not belong to us. To quote Mr. Washer again, he says, Why do we want fame when God promises us glory? Why would we be seeking wealth of the world when the wealth of heaven is ours? Why would we run for a crown that will perish in time when we are called to win a crown that is imperishable? If this world is not ours, then why, my dear brothers and sisters, do we put so much faith into people and things of this world? So one of the things that I've noticed recently, and I realized this, and I noticed, I know it hasn't just started, um, but I've only become aware of it, um, is the desire for self-actualization or sort of understanding ourselves better. Uh, why do we, motiv- why, what motivates me, Right? which there may be a place for that in the world. I'm not here to argue against those types of things. But it ultimately will never satisfy us. Our desire to know ourselves or to self-actualize, especially in the church, it will not satisfy. Outside of the church, in the world, I'm sure it can be. It, it can be helpful, right? I'm again not here to argue against it, but it ultimately won't satisfy, right? As Christians, it doesn't. They're made. They're man-made, right? We're not of this place. We're not made for this world. So why do we settle then for understanding? my sinful nature as the, as the result. If I can look to the Bible, I can be convicted of my sinful nature, and then I can turn my eyes towards Jesus, towards my real home. Now, <clears throat> I don't believe that I've ever gotten on a soapbox while I'm here, ever been here on Mercy Hill. 
But if you would indulge me for just one second. I'm often curious as to why it is we put our faith into the government, why we put our faith into our money, why we put our faith into our possessions, why we put our faith in anything that is coming from this world or anybody. God said, or Jesus said in Mark, why do you call me good when no man, no one is good except God alone? I plead, brothers and sisters, that when you put your faith and trust in anything that comes from this degenerate world, they are always going to fall short and you are always going to end up getting hurt. Even if it never happens in this lifetime that, you fall, that it falls short or that you get hurt in this lifetime, I promise you, the day of reckoning is going to come. And unless your faith is in Jesus Christ alone, the God-man who hung on a bloody tree for three days and then rose out of a grave, you will not get to be a part of the nation that God has promised us. And you will spend the rest of eternity away from the presence of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1 says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and uh, and from the glory of His might. Brothers and sisters, I plead, I am pleading, please stop putting your faith in the things of this world. We are mere travelers I beg of you, please look to Jesus. The question then becomes, well, how do we apply all of this? What does that look like? It's quite simple. Start to get to know the God that you serve. Start to learn how you can be faithful. What does obedience look like? And start with simple things. We have His Word here. Spend time reading it. Spend time praying. Understand the promises of God. If we have the promises of God and understand them, we don't need to fear in this fear anything of this world, really. It right, discipleship. That's the big push, right? If you want to know what God is calling you to do, Start broad and get specific. Start spending time in the Word, praying. Eric is always talking about if you want to be discipled, talk to Eric. By all means, go talk to Eric. Take a step. Do something. Right? We are all called. Obedience is what is required for, that, for us, but faithfulness is our catalyst. If we don't have faith that the Lord will provide or that the Lord will do what we need, then we won't be obedient. My third point is that even when we are disobedient, God is faithful. (laughs) So this is the part of uh, where I'm supposed to give you some form of illustration of some personal experience um, about disobedience. However, 
as a child, I can't remember a time where I was disobedient. Now you laugh because I literally gave you an example earlier in the sermon. Um, most of my childhood is a great example of disobedience. Um, it was pretty bad. Um, but lucky for me, my parents remained faithful to raising me and feeding me and clothing me, regardless of my disobedience to them. And in the same way, when I am unfaithful and lacking in obedience to God, He still cares for me. He still loves me. And as the psalmist wrote in his 23rd Psalm, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Finally, today, folks, there is good news. There is always good news. God, in His loving and merciful and benevolent self, is always going to remain faithful to His Word even when we are disobedient. When we are not faithful, we are putting our faith into something that we shouldn't. And we become disobedient and we sin. The good news is that in 1 John 1, it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You will never find a more merciful, a more loving, and more gracious God than the one that we serve. Later in the story, Abram and Sarai go into Egypt because of Abram's fear. And he loses faith that God will stay true to his promises. We can know this because Abram feared for his life. And if he would have remained faithful, he never would have had to fear for his life. There would have been no lies. He was never commanded to go into Egypt. You see, where fear exists, faithfulness cannot. When we respond out of fear, it's saying that we have lost our faith in the Father to fulfill His promises. Fear ultimately cancels out our faithfulness. But if we can be rooted in God's Word and know His promises and remain obedient, then surely we can grow in our faith. Fear, as a natural response, is going to happen. That's fine. It's what we do with it when it does come. I don't need to respond out of that fear. My response out of my fear will keep me from fulfilling what God has commanded me to do. And it results in ultimate loss of faith. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is grace that saves us from our own sin. We remain faithful to God, and in turn, He is willing to extend His grace to us. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in Scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone. 
In Ephesians 2 it says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, of which you once walked, uh, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we have all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires of the body and the mind, and and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not the work of your own doing, this is the gift of God. And as a result of works, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, worship team, if you guys are ready. In closing, I always find it to be um, a helpful exercise to leave you with some questions. And I say helpful because I like to leave you with questions. So I have three questions that I want to ask you this morning. First, um, is faith the catalyst to your obedience? Or are you trying to be obedient on your own? Second question. Is what is it that you are afraid of that you don't believe God is big enough to handle? What keeps me responding out of fear? And third, when was the last time that you asked the Lord to help you grow in faith? Be careful with that one. Because you may not know what is required for that. But when was the last time you asked the Lord to help you grow in faith? I'll leave you with a quote. It feels like I've quoted a lot of people today. but um, John Calvin said, It is therefore faith alone which justifies, yet faith which justifies is not alone. Just as the heat of the sun, um, the sun which warms the earth, is the heat alone from the sun that which, which warms the earth, and yet it is the sun... It is not alone because it is constantly conjoined with the light. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for every single person that is sitting 
here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would show us, Father, where we are lacking in our faith. Father, we repent of that. Lord, may we never forget that it is faith in you that leads us to obedience. Father, whatever the fear is, Lord, I pray that we would just recognize, Father, that there is nothing that you cannot handle. There is nothing that you cannot overcome. Or if you have made promises to us, may we cling to those promises. And as a result, grow in our faith. And as a result of that, walk in obedience to your will and to your commands. Amen.